Hey listeners, before I start this episode, I want to say that 2020 is a big year for pharmacy and politics. With elections being held from the presidency to state and even local officials, make sure you register to vote. If you're not sure if you registered to vote or just want to double check, go to vote.org to easily find out and follow the link. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Victoria Denardi. Victoria, you are currently a pharmacy manager for a local medical marijuana dispensary, and where did you go to school again? So I went to the University of Finley. University of Finley over there on the west side of Ohio. And what other roles have you had in the past? So I started off as a technician at CVS Pharmacy, and then my third year of college, I was an intern at Discount Drug Mart, and I did that all throughout college. And then once I graduated, I started working for Walgreens. Great. We've both worked retail for most of our experience, it sounds like. And again, I wanted you on the podcast today because you're starting in kind of like a new field for pharmacy. You're on the medical marijuana side. So thanks again for coming on. And can you explain exactly kind of what you do as a pharmacy manager at a medical marijuana dispensary? Sure. So most of my job is to consult patients on medical marijuana and whatever health condition they're treating and to make sure there's no drug interactions and just kind of guide them through dosing uh, medical marijuana and finding the right dose for them, finding the right dosage form and strain for them. And then we follow up with the patient after a few days to just kind of see how everything is working for them, adjust, adjust any dosages, find a new product if the one that we started off with wasn't working, and just kind of guide them through the whole process. So that's the majority of it. There's also ordering the products in, which is nice because I kind of get to select our menu so I can make sure we have a well-rounded menu that has all of the different dosage forms to help people who don't necessarily want to vaporize the medication. There's several other dosage forms, and just to make sure we have all of the strains available that can help the different conditions that are approved. When you say different strains, I know there's different strains, but I think most listeners, and I know myself, don't understand what they are and what all the various products are. Can you elaborate, maybe not necessarily with the names, but kind of what the differences are with some of them? Sure. So there's different strains of what we call flower. That's like the actual bud. In other states, you're allowed to smoke it. In Ohio, you're not. You vaporize it in Ohio. So there's different cannabinoids in each different strain. So there's a different profile to each one. So they have slightly different medicinal effects depending on what different cannabinoids are in them. So we kind of select the right one that has the profile that looks like it would work the best for whatever symptoms you're treating. And then there's also different dosage forms such as tinctures that you can use sublingually or buccally. There's edibles such as um, different gummies, capsules, candies. There's also topical forms. So we have like salves and patches and whatnot. Okay. So quite a few different things there. And when you talk about cannabinoids, you're talking mainly about THC or does it also include like the CBD everyone's been seeing a lot of? Yeah. So mostly THC and CBD, those are the two main ones. There's also something called terpenes, which terpenes are in all plants and fruits and whatnot. And they're also in the cannabis plant and they have different medicinal effects. So each strain of flower has maybe three or four different primary terpenes. And we kind of base our dosing and whatnot on what the terpenes are and how they're going to help with whatever health condition we're treating. Okay, so really you're managing a a litany of different chemicals that can help a patient for whatever symptoms they're dealing with. 
Exactly. Right. Okay. And just as a reminder, what is it in Ohio that you're allowed to use medical marijuana for? So there's 21 different approved conditions in Ohio right now. The main ones that we see a lot of are chronic pain, cancer, epilepsy, PTSD, fibromyalgia. There's also AIDS is approved, Alzheimer's, ALS, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, hepatitis. Those are some of the other ones. MS. There's there's several of them, but those are some of the more common ones that we see. Okay. Um, there's other ones that we're working on getting approved. We're trying to get insomnia approved, anxiety, and then opioid dependence. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Opioid dependence would be a big one in our state here in Ohio, especially in the southern part. Yeah. I think it can definitely help out with opioid dependence. We actually, we tried to get it approved and it was shut down, but we're trying to appeal that decision right now. So, but I think that would be a huge one that would really help out a lot of people. Okay. We'll dive in a little more of some of that study-based stuff a little later here, but why do you feel that pharmacists need to be involved in the marijuana industry today? I really think that we're in a unique position because we have the knowledge and the education on the different disease states. We know what type of symptoms people are dealing with so we can base their treatment on those symptoms. And we're familiar with counseling patients. So we have experience with explaining dosing and side effects and whatnot and making sure patients understand how to use the medication safely and appropriately. And then also there's a lot of patients that are new to cannabis and they're skeptical about it. So I think it really helps having a pharmacist in the industry to kind of guide them through that process. If they're unsure of anything, it makes them feel a little bit better knowing that a pharmacist is there telling them that this is safe and this is how you can use it effectively. And with, like you said, managing disease states and medications, do you know off the top of your head, I haven't seen anything when I looked it up, what percent of marijuana users also take some sort of other medication, whether it be an antidepressant or ADHD or even high blood pressure medicine? I don't know a specific percentage, but I know a lot of the patients that I see in consults are on at least one other medication for something or another. So it's it's important to know if there's any type of interaction at all. Okay, good. So it is a lot of people you're seeing are on other medications for chronic disease states of some sort. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I totally agree with you there. I think that when you're talking about something that has psychoactive properties, it's always good to have another medical professional who can help counsel on drugs and the product they're using to find something right for them because you'd hate to see someone Okay, go take something like an edible. It's a lot stronger than something like vaporizing or smoking the flower of marijuana. And it has some long-term effects because it's in their system so long. Am I right with that? Exactly. Yeah. With edibles, we're especially careful. We always start off really slow and help patients to increase carefully if they need to. And only after waiting for a full two hours for it to take effect because sometimes it can take that long. But yeah, if you take too much of an edible, you're stuck with that feeling for six to eight hours. So it's important to just start off slowly and increase gradually. Gotcha. Well, it sounds a lot of what you do is very similar to retail pharmacy. What is What makes this role different versus your past roles as a retail pharmacist? It is very similar to a regular retail pharmacy role. What's different is I think it's more focused on counseling. We definitely have more time to counsel patients. In a regular retail pharmacy, you're doing a million other things. So it's hard to break away for long enough to sit down and have a good conversation. So we have a little bit more time, which is great. As far as filling prescriptions, we're not really filling anything. It's already pre-packaged. So we're really just checking that we selected the right product and we put the label on it and pass it off to the person that's bringing up the prescription. So we have a lot more time to do other things like counseling and following up with patients. 
that's that's something I think retail needs to get back of. Uh, I think some of the PBM and insurance issues have convoluted that trail, if you will. So, yeah. And that's one thing you luckily don't have to deal with there, do you, in medical marijuana yet? Right. Yes, that is true. <laughs> so how do you feel that pharmacists can really take an ownership in this field? Is it a lot of that one-on-one interaction or is it through proving that what they do is better than some of the some of the other states that might not have a pharmacist in place? There's definitely that one-on-one interaction. I think from what I've heard, the states that do have pharmacists, they have more patients because you're getting more of the new patients that are completely new to the program. They've never used cannabis before and they might not use it unless there was a healthcare professional there to kind of guide them through it. And I think just staying educated and on top of the new things that are coming out with cannabis is really helpful. Even if you're a pharmacist not working in the industry, it might be helpful just to kind of research some some things online so that you have some knowledge about it in case a patient comes in and they are using cannabis and other medications or they have questions. So in Ohio, not all dispensaries are required to have pharmacists. So they be going to a dispensary that doesn't have one and then they're going to their local pharmacy and they have questions about it. So I think it's just important to stay up to date with education. As a pharmacist who works retail, I've seen myself. So in Ohio, we have a prescription drug monitoring program that actually shows the marijuana in there with their opioids, with benzodiazepines. What is some good advice that you can maybe give a pharmacist like myself, who when we're filling a Xanax and an oxycodone for a patient also sees marijuana in there? What's a good approach to handling a situation like that when we, we don't necessarily know what is right for that patient? So I think starting off with a conversation with the patient would be a good thing to do just to make sure that they're aware that, you know, if you're using marijuana and you're also using something else that can cause, you know, drowsiness, that there is that added effect when you're using the marijuana, just to make sure they're aware of that. But you can also always reach out to the physician that's prescribing the medical marijuana and just make sure that they're aware that the patient is also using these other medications and that they're okay with that and they're comfortable with that. Most of the time, they already know that because they're looking at the same monitoring system as well, but it might be helpful just to have a conversation with them. It is, I mean, we see a lot of patients that are on opioids, but they're trying to either decrease their dose of opioids by adding marijuana or completely get off of opioids. So you probably will see patients that are on opioids and marijuana, but the doctor might be aware of that because that was the plan the whole time to kind of decrease their dose of the opioids or get off of opioids completely. Gotcha. Yeah, I've seen that a few times. And I guess we all know what marijuana can do if you're driving and driving impaired. And we also all know mm-hmm. that it's probably safer than oxycodone since you really can't overdose on it. But when you see those two in combination, I think as a, at least for myself as a pharmacist, you take a step back and you're like, hey, what are we doing here? Especially if you see that person pull up in a drive through of your pharmacy. Right. What are you seeing like that as far as tapering off opioids that marijuana has made a positive impact or is working effectively to do? Are you seeing it decrease like 10% every month? Are you seeing it depends on the patient? What are you seeing that really helps marijuana with opioid use disorder or people using a lot of opioids in general? So I have seen patients, I've seen both. I've seen patients that are using marijuana to decrease their dose and they can maybe get down to one Percocet a day when they were taking, you know, four or five before. And then I've seen patients that are just completely done with opioids. They don't want to use them anymore and their plan is to get completely off them. And I've seen people be able to get completely off them and just use marijuana to control their pain, which is amazing. So I've seen both things with patients, which is great. That's awesome, especially uh, how bad opioids have just ravaged our country and especially our state of Ohio here. 
So with that, how can we provide services like you do in a way that are cost effective and it might help get some of the insurance companies to buy in? Is Do we need to produce studies or what do you think needs to be done so that we can get insurances to start covering things like this to help get people the appropriate marijuana medication they might need instead of traditional pharmaceuticals? Yeah, I think we definitely need to do more studies. There are some studies out there, but there really need to be a lot more and just trying to work towards getting this federally legal so that insurances can can cover medications. That would be great. But yeah, we definitely need more studies. I'm looking, trying to get different conditions approved. Like I was looking into getting insomnia approved. There's maybe like four or five studies that I found that were legitimate studies, and it's just not enough to get something like that approved. So it's not going to be enough to have an insurance company cover something. But I think doing more studies would be great. I think if they see us documenting our counseling sessions and then our follow-up sessions, there's evidence there that it's helping people. So that might help as well. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like to me that insomnia and marijuana just seems like an easy remedy because all the stereotypes and everything we see, that's kind of one of the side effects of it. So it seems like a natural fit right there. Yeah. And there's lots of personal accounts of it. I hear from patients all the time that they're sleeping great now that they're using it, but there's just not enough studies out there, unfortunately. When you guys document stuff like that, are you documenting it in an EMR-based system where you can maybe, I don't know, eventually print out some report and then de-hippify all of the personal information on it? Or what are you documenting in a way that you can share with maybe state legislators or people who make those decisions? So right now we're just documenting in their personal profile. So we would need to probably put something together so that it was HIPAA compliant. We don't have anything like that in place now, but that would be something that I would love to look into. Okay. Yeah. I, I would love to see that too. Obviously HIPAA is being always the elephant in the room when we talk about healthcare. So when it comes to Ohio, we are only approved for medical. There's, I believe, 11 states who are approved for recreational and 33 that are now approved for medical marijuana use. How is Ohio different from the other states when it comes to marijuana? So Ohio's medical marijuana program is run by the State Board of Pharmacy. I think most of the other medical states are run by the Department of Health. There might be a couple other ones that are run by the State Board of Pharmacy. So it's a little bit more strict. They have regulations on advertising limits, any events that we do, any educational events need to be approved well in advance. And then the quantity limits that you can purchase in Ohio are a little bit different than other states. It might be this around the same quantity, but the way they do it is you have your first 90-day supply that you can buy a certain amount in. And then when you get into your second 90-day sell, you have to wait for days from your previous 90 days to fall off. So we have a lot of patients coming in on their second 90-day sell that can't purchase anything or can only purchase a small amount because they're waiting for some of their previous days to fall off. Whereas other medical states have a set quantity for 30 or 90 days. And then once you're in your new 30 or 90 day period, it completely starts over. It doesn't take into account what you've purchased the previous 30 or 90 days. So it makes it a little bit more difficult, especially if a patient doesn't live anywhere near a pharmacy and they're traveling an hour or two to get to one. They want to maybe purchase more so that they don't have to come back as frequently. So it makes it a little bit more difficult in that regard. Yeah, so Ohio is a mid-sized state with some very concentrated populations in urban areas like Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, Toledo, and then some very rural parts. Do you know how many mm-hmm. medical marijuana dispensaries there are in Ohio and kind of where they're located geographically? So there are there's 56 licenses that were awarded in Ohio, but only 44 dispensaries, I believe, are open currently. So there's a few more that need to open up. I think most of them are centered towards larger cities. So there's probably a lot of rural areas that 
people would have to travel a distance to get to anywhere. So it is concentrated around the population hubs, which I guess makes business sense. So I see why they would do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you get to some of those southern parts of Ohio, where ironically, a lot of the opioid issues were, you're losing pharmacies on top of with the current insurance reimbursement issues. And then obviously, maybe you might not have that immediate access to something like a dispensary that you work in for something that can help them with their opioid use disorder. Are the state legislators seeing anything where they're trying to push dispensaries or incentivize them to move down to those areas to help with some of those issues since opioid use disorder isn't approved use for medical marijuana? I don't believe there's any requirement for for anything like that. I think that would be a great idea, though. Um, I think it is important to have them accessible to everyone in Ohio and that would really help out, like you said, a lot with the opioid issue down south. That would be great. Yeah. And one of the other things that Ohio is a little bit different different in, if I remember correctly, was to purchase medical marijuana, you have to have a, a marijuana card or license. Can you explain how that process works exactly? Yeah. So you would have a, one of the 21 conditions. If you have one of the 21 medical conditions, you would have to go to a specific doctor that has a certificate to recommend medical marijuana. And you would either bring your medical records with you or a lot of times, the medical marijuana doctor can reach out to your primary care physician and get those records for you. And as long as you have one of the diagnoses documented from your primary care physician or any physician, you will receive your medical card that day. You pay a $50 fee to the state board and then it's good for a year. Okay. So every year you have to renew it. Right. Exactly. But then you would just bring your medical marijuana card and your state ID that you use to obtain the medical marijuana card to whatever dispensary you go to. You would need those two things every time you go. Okay. And is there like a process to get into the dispensary where you have to show that at most places? Or is it you just kind of walk in, you can talk to them, look around, and then at the point of sale, like Sudafed, you'd have to present it? So usually you need to present it right away when you enter the building. A lot of places will have a vestibule that you can't get past that vestibule until you check in with security with your state ID and your med- medical marijuana card just as a safety precaution. We don't want to let anyone in who's, who doesn't have that card or doesn't have their ID. Um, and then you usually present it again when you're making the actual purchase. Okay. So it's like a double check system to make sure anybody who's in there right. is legit. Yes, exactly. Okay. Now, one thing I know is you said you have to go visit a doctor and I know you can't mm-hmm. go visit any doctor. It's only, or physician, whatever title we want to use, physician who's approved to give out those medical marijuana cards. But recently there's been a lot of pushback, or at least initially there's a lot of pushback from some of the major hospitals in and around Ohio. Are you still seeing that? Are you seeing more of an open acceptance and they're kind of taking patients, even if they're not prescribing it, who use medical marijuana? I have seen doctors that have their certificate to recommend, but they're not currently practicing because the hospital that they work for will not allow them to. So I've seen that. I don't know as far as hospitals or doctors accepting a patient because they're using medical marijuana. Um, But I know some doctors are wary about actually using their certificate to recommend because they're worried about where they're employed, not accepting that. Gotcha. So you're seeing it where more people have the licenses, but the limiting factor is the employer, not the not the healthcare provider. Right. I guess that makes sense. If if I was employed somewhere and I had a license to do something, but they said no, I probably wouldn't do it either. I guess. Have you seen right, yeah. Have you seen a lot of upstart uh, independent practices where that's kind of like their major focus is just the medical marijuana at all? I have, yeah. There's actually quite a few places that are doing an independent practice like that. Okay. I think that's probably the safest way for them to do it. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. So obviously, as a pharmacist, you also have to ensure that abuse isn't occurring when it comes to marijuana. When it comes to something like medical marijuana, obviously you watch that and monitor for that. 
Is there any way a retail pharmacist can kind of help make sure that someone isn't abusing something when it comes to medical marijuana and their other prescriptions other than just checking prescription drug monitoring programs? I guess just assessing the patient's state of mind if they seem like they're inebriated or they've taken too much medication, that's definitely a red flag. But there's also limits in the state of Ohio as to how much somebody can purchase. So they're never given more marijuana than what is legally allowed in Ohio because every time a patient comes into a dispensary, we calculate how much they can get. So it's very, we're very strict with that and very on top of that. So they're never going to be giving getting too much marijuana. But I think just assessing whether they're you know, out and about when they're not in a, a good state of mind, that would be something important to look out for. Okay. So that's kind of reassuring to know that at least in a state like Ohio that is very strict with some of these laws, as a retail pharmacist, I know that the other pharmacist or the other dispensary is only allowed to sell so much and is really doing their due diligence because the state limits them so they can never purchase too much of it. So that, that's always good to know. Yeah, definitely. Monitoring the system as well and making sure that we're doing our job. So we're there's a double check there. It's very We're very strict with how much patients can get. I kind of like to err on that side when it comes to something like this that can be abused or diverted just because you know, that way it's, at least if it starts that way, we can loosen up as we go. And as if we see problems, we can address them. Right. So you mentioned earlier that you want to see at least marijuana legal medicinally at the federal level. Have you seen any federal movement on the reclassification of marijuana in the near future? I really haven't. No, I I think that's still up for debate, but I'm hoping that that happens soon. I think that can really help a lot of people out. Yeah, I know I've seen a few senators support, show their support for it. I think uh, in Ohio, the one that sticks out to me, I think, was Representative Dave Joyce, who's more of the Ashtabula, the west or east side of Cleveland area. And he said he was he was all for it. But I haven't seen anything else move through the House, despite all the political wrangling that's been going on at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think another representative is Stephanie House. She's one that's very pro-cannabis. Is, are, do you think that they're doing that because it's uh, best medically or it's best tax dollar wise or no no real idea? I know with Stephanie House, I've heard her talk about the numerous medicinal benefits. So I think she's definitely an advocate for the medicinal benefits. I can't speak to anyone else. but So we do have a little bit of altruism there in politics, maybe. <laughs> I, I agree with you and think that pharmacists are the best people to run the dispensaries. Do you think that there's a way that if this gets legal federally, that they would kind of put it under the FDA watch and really mandate pharmacists do this? Or do you think it's something that they more follow the the Colorado model and make it just more open recreationally? I think that it would just be more open recreationally, but I'm glad that there are companies out there that see the value in pharmacists. So I think there will always be some dispensaries that make sure that they have pharmacists on board, but I really think that it would go more the recreational route where it's just open and anyone can purchase. I was just curious what your uh, what your thoughts were on that. One thing I know that people are gonna gonna have questions on with this when it comes to cost. Can you explain what the uh, the cost is with some of this, these products? Yeah, unfortunately, right now things are very expensive in Ohio with the program just starting out. Um, we're hoping that costs come down. We've seen that in other medical states where it starts off expensive, and then as more cultivators come online, prices start to drop. But right now, you can get a tenth of a flower for anywhere from 25 to $45. And it depends on how you're using and how much you need to use to determine how long that would last you. Some people, it's only going to last a few days. Some people, it'll last a lot longer. For edibles, you can get around 100 milligrams of edibles for about 40 to $50. And again, it might last you 10 days. That might last you 40 days. It just depends on how much you're using. The tinctures are about 
anywhere from 40 to $120, depending on how strong they are. And then the topical options are anywhere from 45 to $70. But it all depends on what your tolerance is. If you have a patient that needs more of the medication, it's not going to last as long, and that can get very, very costly. What's funny is, is you're saying that that's costly, which I get it if you're having to fork that out all the time. But that's still cheaper yeah. than a, quite a few of prescription drugs when I look at it from that angle. Do you think there's a good cost-benefit ratio there with uh, marijuana and the THC-containing products versus certain prescription meds? I think there is, but, I mean, for prescription meds, patients have the option of having their insurance cover it. So, I mean, I guess even even though insurance is covering it, it can still be very expensive, your out-of-pocket costs. But if if you have to purchase a tenth every two or three days, that's going to add up over oh, the yeah. course of a month if you don't have insurance covering it. So I, you're right, though. I, pres- regular prescriptions are very expensive as well. So it's just a matter of perspective, I guess. Yeah, I'm always interested to see what will happen if this does go at least medicinally legal federally, what some of the insurance insurers will do and how that whole reimbursement program will work because we all kind of admit that the uh, the p- current PBM model is broken. So what's that going to mean when, if that hops over to the marijuana industry? That could be... That could be pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So you said you're you're expecting costs to go down, at least in our state. And I know you can't speak in other states, but you've seen in other states where it has gone down, it looks like after the the retailers kind of recoup some of their initial costs. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And then also having more cultivators available, I think they start to get more competitive with what they're charging because there's more competition out there. So increasing the supply to match the demand a little bit. That makes sense. Right. So with that, I made a few other kind of notes here. Can you explain a little bit of some of the differences with states that have it recreationally? And I always think of Colorado just because I've traveled there a lot versus Ohio medicinally. Can you explain what the difference is when you walk into a a dispensary there versus here? Um, I actually don't know what the process in, in Colorado would be for that. I believe you can just walk in like it's a regular retail store, if I'm correct. I don't know that you need any credentials to get in. I mean, you might need to show your ID because you have to be a certain age. But yeah. other than that, I think it's mostly just like a regular retail store where you can just walk in and pick out what you need. Well, one thing I noticed that was different when you're looking at some of the stores out there, just from my own personal experience, I went walking by one and you can always tell when there's a marijuana dispensary somewhere because there's a logo outside and I hate to say it, but usually there's a, there's a smell around it. And I know people in Denver I've heard complain about sometimes when you walk by the ones in Ohio, they're very clean. They're very well kept, if you will. It almost looks like a hidden building with just a very little demarcation on it. Is that kind of what most of the dispensaries look like? Yeah. So in Ohio, there's regulations on how big our signs can be, um, what our signs say, things like that. And then also our product is mostly in a vault that's sealed. Um, We have a a small storage cart that holds our product, but it's way in the back. So it's not going to be out front where everyone can smell, you know, walking by. Gotcha. That makes a little more sense for security purposes too. Right. So you also mentioned earlier that some of the the biggest things that are holding pharmacists and even practitioners back is education of it and then the scare factor because it's been illegal for so long and we've all seen the crazy movies that came out God knows when about marijuana madness and all those just delusional type of movies. What do you think is the best way that pharmacists and prescribers can get educated about it themselves since obviously you're even limited to some of the things that you're allowed to do for continuing education and stuff like that. Yeah, so there's actually some um, continuing education on Power Pack now for pharmacists, which is great. Oh, okay. There's a really good one on cannabis with epilepsy. 
And then also there's websites out there that they're not run by pharmacists necessarily, but there's one called thehealer.com that's really good. They have a lot of good information. Um, there's a course that you would have to pay for, but it's by the Medical Cannabis Institute. So if you Google that, you can go to their website. So there are sources out there that you can get information from. There's a lot of free information out there, which is nice. And then there's some courses that you'd have to pay for. Okay, great. It's always good to know those resources are out there because there's a lot of interest in the topic for sure. Yeah, definitely. There's not a whole lot out there, but if you do some some digging, you can find some courses out there, which is great. Last question I have for you here is, since you mentioned PTSD, opioid dependence, pain, a lot of those type of things, and we know that the VA is not currently doing anything with medical marijuana, are you seeing a high rate of veterans or a good amount of veterans who are coming in to help treat some of their issues that they have with medical marijuana? Yeah, we see a lot of veteran patients that come in and it really does help with their PTSD or chronic pain. So we do have a high population of veteran patients. We actually offer a special discount. I think most dispensaries in Ohio will offer some type of discount to veterans and indigent. So that's one of our groups that we offer discounts to because we see so many of them and just we want to help them out as much as possible. And just to make sure that I understand this correctly, how do you prove they're a veteran? Is it just like a a TRICARE card, a veteran ID? How do they go about proving that to you? Yeah, they would have to have some type of veteran ID, and they actually can't just show it to us. They have to show it to their medical marijuana physician that's recommending them, and then that physician will put it onto ORS. So whenever we check their ORS account, it'll say either veteran or indigent on the screen so that we know to put in that discount. Okay, well, that's good to know that at least a good a good chunk of your population you're helping is, I don't want to say being incentivized, but getting a better a better price on things like that to help with some of their health conditions. Because we all know, and I'm not knocking the VA, but that veterans have to go through a lot. So it's good to know that they're getting the best possible care they can get for the best price they can get. Right, for sure. All right. Well, that's all I have for open questions for you now before I go into my last two that I ask every guest. What else do you think that pharmacists or listeners to this podcast should know about medical marijuana? I think it's important to know that it's this is a really amazing plan and it has so many health benefits. It can really help so many people. So just be open to it. Be open to your patients that are on it and know that it's helping a lot of people and you can't overdose on it. There's no cannabinoid receptors in the part of the brain that affects your breathing. So it has a an advantage over many other medications. So I think we should just embrace it and try to stay educated on it and look for those studies that you know, teach us about the benefits of medical cannabis. Oh, that's awesome. I, you know, I think that's good to put that out there, especially since you attack the clinical side of you can't overdose on it. <laughs> so if you could change one thing about pharmacy overall, what would you change? So I would love to see some kind of requirement in regular retail pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS for a minimum amount of technicians. That's one of the reasons I left Walgreens because it's just very overwhelming. I think pharmacists these days in a retail setting are just spread so thin. And I know I had a lot of cutbacks with technician hours and I would come in early. I would stay late just to try to catch up and you never really feel like you're catching up. You're just treading water. So I think it would be great to provide that help to pharmacists and really require a minimum amount of hours because when you don't have enough help and you're doing everything in a retail pharmacy, you're typing the prescription, you're checking the prescription, you're filling it, you're checking it again, you're vulnerable to making mistakes. And that's why I was not comfortable doing that anymore. So I think they need to really set some requirements in place for that. 
Yeah, I, I know Ohio's a state that doesn't have those tech to pharmacist limits. Other states do, but I think that's a good call out there. So great. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your insight on that of why you actually left retail pharmacy. My, yeah, for sure. My last question is if you could change one pharmacy law, federal or state, or in this case, even if it's a marijuana law, what would you change? I would really love to see marijuana federally legal so that we can really start diving into studies and working on getting insurance to cover medications that would really make it more accessible to everyone. And just doing the research is really going to help out. There's so many benefits with this amazing plant. And we, I think, are just scratching the surface. I think once we start doing more studies, we're going to find out so many more health benefits that it has. So making it federally illegal would definitely make it easier to do all of those things. Yeah, I, I kind of thought you might say that, but you're not the first person to say that on this podcast. So I think that's uh, that shows you how widespread <laughs> it is. Thanks again for stopping by, Victoria. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for just talking about this sensitive and ultimately like huge topic that's not just affecting pharmacy, but people all across the country. I really appreciate your insight into yeah. some of that. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, not a problem at all. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, listeners, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating that you feel appropriate, hopefully five stars on your podcast platform that you listen to. And thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Thank you.